Hey, I am excited to tell you about this month's sponsorship. This month's episodes are sponsored by Crossway, publisher of the English Standard Version of the Bible and a high-end line of heirloom Bibles that are designed to reflect the beauty of God's Word. Each heirloom Bible is skillfully crafted using the highest quality materials and expert craftsmanship. With carefully chosen premium goatskin covers, durable edge lines, smith-sewn binding, beautiful art, gilding, and premium Bible paper chosen for optimal quality, readability, and durability. Learn more at crossway.org. On a personal note, I have one of these Bibles. It actually fell off the top of my car one day and got ran over on the interstate. And it survived. It actually survived. The binding is still good, and I still preach from it every single week. And also, we have a great giveaway going on right now with Crossway. You can jump on Twitter or on theshepherdscrook.co and see it. We are giving away an heirloom Bible, the pastor's book by Kent Hughes, the imperfect pastor by Zach Eswine, the pastor's justification by Jared C. Wilson, and nine marks of a healthy church by Mark Dever. Look online and sign up today. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Okay, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. It's a great joy today for me to be interviewing my friend Bob Lapine down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And what I want to do is just pray, and then I'll I'll kind of pass it over to him to tell him or tell you guys a little bit about his himself and what he's doing down there. But uh, Bob, thanks so much for for coming on the show with me. Jared, great to be here. Looking forward to this. Good deal. Good deal. Well, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into a few a uh, few questions here. Father, we're so thankful for this time. I thank you for the airwaves, the fact that we can be doing this interview on a phone, a couple states away, and just simply talk about you and your bride, the church, and ministry, family, so many things. Just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for Bob and uh, the encouragement that he's been to me, and I just ask that this time that we have together here would be a benefit to the listeners, and Holy Spirit, just lead this discussion. I trust that you're going to, and just put a spotlight on Jesus, and and we just trust that you're going to do that as well. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Well, for the sake of uh, those that may be listening and not know who you are, or maybe know just a little bit about you, Bob, would you go ahead and kind of just interview, introduce yourself and tell us a little about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, I'm happy to. So uh, uh, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas. My wife, Marianne, and I are, uh, we, we are coming up on 40 years of marriage, parents to five kids and seven grandkids, eight grandkids. If you count the one who's going to arrive in the fall, we've got eight grandkids now. And uh, for the last 26 and a half years, I have been uh, the co-host of a daily national radio program called Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey. Uh, That has just transitioned. You and I were talking about this a minute ago. Uh, Dennis has stepped away from his role as host of the program. And Dave and Ann Wilson. Dave's a pastor from Detroit, and he and his wife Ann have been a part of Family Life for um, for 
more than three decades now. They've stepped in and they are the new hosts of the program. So I'm continuing on as the co-host. Um, so I, I stay busy doing that. That's my full-time job. And then about 11 years ago, we helped plant a, a church here in Little Rock called Redeemer Community Church. It's a non-denominational, uh, evangelical, we would be... Um, We'd be in the mold. We'd be like your church. We are. Okay. Uh, we have a reformed perspective on on our understanding of salvation. We are uh, baptistic when it comes to our understanding of, of uh, baptism. Uh, we're an independent church, so we've got an elder board that uh, provides leadership for what we're doing. I'm one of the seven elders that's at the church, and I I do the primary. Uh, preaching and teaching, and then do a lot of the vision casting for what we're doing. And of course, I do that bivocationally, so there's there's a lot more I wish I could be doing. Mm. I just have to be able to do what I can do and trust that God's going to superintend all of that. Uh, yeah. But we're excited about what's going on with the church. We're in the middle of a building project, and uh, we're, we're seeing God at work in the lives of the people who are coming regularly to Redeemer. So it's a full life. Somebody contacted me recently and said, hey, I, I heard about a new job, a new opening. Is this something you'd consider? And I said, well, I'm doing the radio program still, and I'm pastoring a church, but <laughs> most nights between midnight and seven, I'm not doing a whole lot, so maybe I could fit something in there. Well, Bob, you could just put on like a fifth or sixth hat, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, you got, got your hand in a lot of things, but a lot of really good things. It sounds like that, you know, that God is certainly been kind to give you some some wonderful opportunities that's that's fantastic um uh, you know a lot of my listeners i was telling you before just uh you know guys that maybe younger looking to go into ministry guys that are in seminary and you know each each man's call into ministry is is somewhat unique um and i, I would just love to hear you know for you when when was it first when you were converted and then what was that call into ministry? You know, you're, now you're into this, but we'll get some questions about bivocational ministry here in a little bit. But I'd love to hear about what that internal call looked like for you, and then what that external process into into ministry looked like. You know, for you, what uh, yeah. what, what could you tell us about that? Well, so I'd, I'd go back and uh, and just give you a brief look at the history. I grew up going to church, but never heard the gospel in the churches that we went to during my childhood. In fact, when I started dating Mary Ann, I said, well, let's go to this church by our, our college campus. And we came out of church, and I said, what did you think of that church? And she said, well, they didn't talk much about the Bible. And I said, well, no, it's church. <laughs> I mean, I really, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> wow. in, in my thinking, um, you talked about the Bible at Young Life. You, you didn't talk about the Bible at church. So this was the... This was the mid-70s that all of this was happening, and I had started going to Young Life when I was in high school. That's where I first heard the gospel. And I would say, Jared, there was probably a four-year period in my life where I was attracted to and active in the ministry of Young Life and involved with what was going on there. Hmm. And if you had asked me during that time, are you a Christian, I would have said yes. And and who knows, when we get to heaven and we say, at what point, Lord, did you apply uh, atonement in my life specifically? Uh, I'll be interested to see where that date lands. Yeah. But, but honestly, I I don't think I was really genuinely converted until uh, the summer of my uh, junior year in college when somebody pulled me aside after a Bible study, and he said, I'd like to get together with you. There's some questions I want to ask you. 
And honestly, I thought he needed me to explain the, the Bible to him in some areas. Uh, that was because I was still full of much pride. Hmm. And when we got together, he said, I don't think you get it. And he took me to Romans 3 and said, uh, this is what the Bible says about your spiritual condition apart from Christ. And it was the first time I understood sin in a holistic sense, not as bad habits that I needed right. to be forgiven for, but as rebellion against God. And that was, if, if that's not my moment of, of salvation, it was a, a moment of spiritual transformation in mm, my life. Right. Because I walked out of there with a deeper understanding of my own sinfulness, which gave me then a deeper understanding of Christ's sacrifice and the goodness of God and the glory of God in our salvation. Wow. Um, all of a sudden, I, I understood it on a much deeper level than I ever had, and it humbled me in a way that I'd never been humbled before. And so I, I look back on that and say, I, I think that's probably where I was converted. There was a new hunger and thirst to read the Bible yep. and to know God better and to read more. So I, I began to see uh, fruit of the Spirit happening that hadn't been there before. And uh, so that's, that's what I look on as, as my conversion point. I had studied radio and television as an undergraduate at the University of Tulsa, had planned to go to law school okay. all along. I took, I took a summer job after I graduated from uh, college before I went to law school, took a summer job at a local radio station doing, being a news reporter for a news talk radio station. And halfway through the summer, they came to me and said, we'd like to give you a raise. Why don't you postpone law school for a year and keep doing this? And I thought, well, I like what I'm doing. It's a lot of fun, and I'm really not all that interested in hitting the books again starting in the fall. So maybe I'll take a year off and see where this goes. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always go to law school at that point. Right. And that's what I'm still doing. If, mm. if uh, radio doesn't work out at some point, I'll, I'll go back to law school probably. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but... Uh, but, but that's, that set me on a whole different course, and after a couple of years of doing mainstream radio, I got involved in doing Christian radio, and primarily that happened because I started hearing people on Christian radio that I'd never heard before, people who were intelligent and articulate. I heard Chuck Swindoll, and I heard John MacArthur, and heard Dr. Dobson, and people where I thought, uh, this is stuff I would, I'm interested in listening to, mm. and that and then I started hearing music that I hadn't heard before. Uh, this was, the again, the late 70s, so I was hearing early Amy Grant oh, yeah. and the Imperials and all of the, all the old-school contemporary Christian music. Okay. And so I spent the next nine years working in local Christian radio. Uh, and, and again, I wouldn't say that's a call to ministry, although I was certainly... I, I wanted my life to be about spiritual things and eternal things, mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons I got involved in Christian radio. Um, but, but there was a, there was a period, this was early on, I was in my mid twenties, I was working at my local Christian radio station and I had a chance to go to Kansas city to hear John MacArthur speak. So okay. my wife and I drove up there. Uh, I, I'd listened to him on radio. I'd been discipled by him. I wanted to hear him speak live. And when I got up there, uh, I stood in line at the end to, to meet him. And I asked him the question, I said, how do you know? if you're called to ministry. Because mm -hmm. I had thought about seminary. Yeah. I'd wondered if I should quit radio and head to seminary. And, and John MacArthur, I, I'll never forget, he said, he said, if you can do something else and be, be uh, happy with it, 
or find satisfaction in it. He said, that's what you ought to do. Hmm. He said, you shouldn't go into ministry unless you can't be content. In other words, it's kind of like if, if the fire in your bones isn't there, right? Yeah. don't do this thing. And it was really, it was smart advice because for, for two reasons. Number one, I thought, okay, I can be, I can be involved. There are other things I can do um, where I'll be happy and satisfied, but I can also then be an active layman in a local church, whether it's teaching Sunday school. I, I can do other things that can contribute to the growth of the church yeah. without, without anybody having to pay me to do it. I'm, I'm a tent maker at that point. So I've always been very church engaged, even though I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, involved in, okay. in uh, church leadership early on. But the second reason it was a it was great counsel for me is it made me recognize if you don't have that fire in your bones where it's like there's not anything else I can do and put my head down on the pillow and be contented at night. If if you don't have that, you're going to face enough opposition and enough obstacles in ministry that you'll you'll flame out at some point you have to have it so deep inside of you that when you hit the wall or you hit times of trials and persecution um you still feel the persecution but it's like i can't do anything else this Mm. is what god's burdened me with and so that was the advice i followed and continued. I was a, a lay elder in okay. three churches, one in San Antonio and, and uh, then two here in Little Rock. And being a lay elder was kind of like being a an unpaid part-time church staff person. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of an elder team that was a just a, a board. It was, we saw ourselves as, as pastors. That's, That's what an elder is. And yeah. so uh, we took on that role. And then Eleven years ago, when we helped plant a church, my involvement got even more significant because I do about seventy percent of the preaching okay. at our church at Redeemer now. So uh, it's it's more significant than it's been in the earlier years. Now let let me ask you this: I see I mean, you've been wearing all these hats for so many years, been in radio, uh, been in ministry from the lay, lay ministry, and you know into being an elder at a couple churches, and now preaching seventy percent of the time. Okay, now all your kids are older now and out of the house. That's correct. Right, they're grown and gone. That's correct. Okay, so now looking back over those, you know, last thirty years or so, and and when your children were in their home, how how did you, or, or did you do a good job of it, or could you have done a better job? How how did you maintain biblical balance of of managing the household well, staying qualified for ministry, not getting pulled by your schedule in a million? You know, Eugene Peterson has this really provocative statement in his uh, book, The Contemplative Pastor, about about uh, the, the busy pastor is a lazy pastor because he can't take control of his schedule and prioritize where his time goes. And uh, it sounds like you're a guy who's been able to manage your time well without it getting away from you. But how, how have you done that? How have you rightly prioritized you know, wife, children, uh, the home, and then wore all these hats at the same time without, without uh, you know, giving half of yourself or a quarter of yourself to some of that work? I mean, how, how have you been yeah. able to do all of that you know, to the glory of the Lord, and to a degree that you felt comfortable with laying your head on the pillow at night, that you didn't just, you know, uh, skip through the day and just, you know, halfway do something. So how did you maintain that balance all these years up until today? Well, first of all, I haven't always maintained the balance. There have okay. been seasons where I've had to adjust and recalibrate, and that's going to be a part of life, and that's where 
when when God gives us wives, He gives us good things because a wife is somebody who can help you uh, recognize when it's a season where you need to recalibrate or when things have gotten out of bounds. And Marianne's been a great help to me hmm. in that area. I would say, um, and and at, at the risk of this sounding. I, I don't mean this to sound proud. I, I, I'm a high-capacity person. I, I'm somebody who can multitask, somebody who can have a lot of different things going on at the same time. Right. Um, so I, I'm able to, uh, to balance and, and function with a lot of different things happening. Um, I, I've tried to make sure, it's something that Josh McDowell said in an interview we did with him early on uh, that stuck with me. He said, I'm going to say something shocking to you. He said, my number one priority is my ministry. And then he paused for effect, and then he said, and my number one ministry is to my wife and to my kids. Ooh, that's good. That's good. And it, was, it was so helpful for me to go, if you're, not, if you're not effective in that ministry, you don't have a platform anywhere else. Yeah. Everything else is fraudulent in your life. And so when we had kids in the house, and and even now in this season where it's just Marianne and me, if if we're not, if, if I'm not prioritizing that in the right space, the right, if that's not in balance, then everything else I'm doing in ministry, there's a there's a little hypocrisy yeah. in the thread of all of that. Yeah. As I'm trying to shepherd and lead other people, so. Um, I, it, it, it's been one of those things. There have been there have been seasons in our life, Jared, where uh, I've been working on a project or something, and I've looked at Marianne and I've said, "Okay, the next two months things are going to be out of balance mm-hmm. because of this project." But then I made sure that at the end of that project, when it was wrapped up, there was another season where things were out of balance on the other side, and I was yeah. reinvesting in what I had had to. Uh, busy for a while. I think my kids would say, in fact, I asked them this, did you ever feel like my busyness or my involvement with church or ministry stuff that I was doing in family life, did you ever feel like um, that left you ignored or that I wasn't there for you? And they said, no, we knew you were busy, but we also knew that we were what mattered. That's good. That's good. So that's how I tried to make that work. Um, and, and I would just say to guys, you've got to constantly be recalibrating. You've got to constantly be asking the question you look at your gauges and say, uh, am I investing in the right places at the right proportion? And it's so easy, you know, this Jared, it's easy for the ministry to seduce you or Mm. you you feel like this is the Lord's work and I've got to do this and I'm, I'm failing. I, I will tell you, in, in terms of sermon prep, uh, there are times when I get to Saturday night at 11 o'clock or at midnight, and I've done, there, there's more I'd like to be able to do on the sermon, uh-huh. but I just haven't had the margin in my week this week to be able to do more. Right. And that's where I go, Lord, these are my loaves and fishes this week. Hmm. This is what I'm able to bring. I, I, I've tried to be diligent in working in the times that I've got, but this is this is what I've been able to bring, and Lord, would you bless this 
knowing that the power is not in my rhetoric anyway. So yeah, that's, um, that's good, Bob. So I, I think we have to just recalibrate. Look, the, the kingdom has been functioning fine for two thousand years, long before I got here. I think the work of the kingdom is not going to fail if I need to take an afternoon off and be with my kids. Yeah, that's good. Something. Well, you know, I, I like that because I, I think, and it's our mutual friend, Jared Wilson, I think, who said this. If he didn't, he's going to get credit for it. But, uh, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, you can, uh, you know, generations past, one of the things that I've, I've heard and picked up from pastors is, you know, you don't want to sacrifice ministry for the, you know, sacrifice your family for the sake of ministry. That Josh McDowell quote is great. I mean, it's just so fantastic to, that my family is my ministry. And because we we've heard this tales of preachers' kids, you know, going, you know, the I mean, for goodness' sake, the title of PK and and all the connotations yep. that go with that, and then this, yep. you know, the the pendulum, you know, is always swinging. We're always walk, you know, tripping into a ditch, and every once in a while, walking in the middle of the road. But uh, the other opposite end is, you know, don't sacrifice ministry on the altar of family and being able to to. You know, family prioritize. You know, prioritizing things correctly doesn't mean that you don't work hard outside of the home. And I like hearing what you have to say. Is that you know we should be tired. We should be going to bed tired. We should be working hard in ministry. Uh, this isn't a cakewalk. And uh, and and preachers for far too long have have had reputations, especially from blue collar workers, of being lazy uh, or being busy with the wrong sorts of things. So I love hearing, hearing. I mean, and then the movie. I mean, you guys just came out with a movie with Family Life Today or, or with what you, you've you done with, with uh, Like Arrows. Or um, yep. Can you tell us a little bit actually about that? And then I've got a few more questions for you here. But uh, tell us also a little bit about the movie that, that you had made. Yeah, this is a project. We started working on a video series a couple of years ago called The Art of Parenting. It's a, an eight-session, kind of a small group series, 30-minute video each week, and, and then there are questions that go with that. And as we were working on it, we thought we ought to include a an ongoing story component so that folks who are coming each week are seeing what we're talked about lived out in a like a, a drama, a, a, a movie, but in eight parts. Hmm. And so I called uh, Alex and Stephen Kendrick, who are movie makers and friends, and I said, I have this idea. What do you think? Uh, they said, we think that's doable. I said, I know you work with the young directors who you would like to help mentor. Is there somebody you'd recommend to me? And they put me in touch with a, a guy, a guy named Kevin Peoples in North Carolina. Okay. And with the Kendricks and with Kevin, we sat down and we storyboarded these eight chapters in this life of a family from unmarried and pregnant to their 50th wedding anniversary, watching their parenting journey in chapters over the years. And our goal was we'd take each chapter and we would put it in one of these these art of parenting uh, sessions. Okay, well, when yeah. we got all done filming it, we said, you know, this really works better if you tell the whole story all in one sitting rather than to let it spill out over eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we sewed it together and we had a theatrical movie, uh, a movie that we felt had a could, could go into theaters. And yeah. in fact, it did a year ago. It was in theaters for a two-night run and had... Uh, had a great response from the people who came to see it, and it just came out on DVD. But it's the story of, of a couple and their parenting journey, and their kind of the turnaround point in their life is when they recognize that just going to church and going through 
spiritual motions, saying grace at dinner and maybe a bedtime prayer, that's not sufficient to have a family that is anchored in Christ. And they recognize that through some of the challenges that they face as they raise their kids. That's so good. I mean, that's so, so family life today, equipping families, making films, small group studies, all that, st- that sort of thing. You've been working with, you've been working with families and fathers in particular uh, for, for a really long time. And so you're a really good guy to ask this sort of question, but we've been hearing a lot about uh, toxic masculinity uh, in the news and in the media um, for the last year or two. And here you are, you know, making movies and building families and trying to train men and what real masculinity is and real fatherhood is. And uh, how is it that you go about, and even today, like presently, um, calling men to be godly men, you know, in a world that doesn't actually value masculinity, or at least its only version of what they think masculinity is, is kind of like this toxic masculinity. See, I mean, you've been doing all this work with... Um, yeah. you know, equipping families and even making films. I mean, so like, uh, how, how do you navigate that? How do you um, call men to be godly men in a in a world that doesn't really value that? How have you gone about doing that? Well, I'd say a number of things. First of all, I think we have to recognize that there there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. There's such a thing as toxic humanity. Oh, that's good. Well, let's just... Let's just call it what it is. We we can take any human behavior, and there's a there's a shadow side to that. There's a simple mm. expression of whatever that human behavior is. So there's toxic femininity too. Yeah, there's good. there's toxic humanity on all levels, and and we got to own the fact that yes, that exists as a category. The problem is that a lot of people have taken. Uh, masculine traits, things that I think are observable in terms of, of general revelation. So you stop and you say, we, we know by general revelation that men have more testosterone than women. women. Why, why did God decide to put more testosterone in men and put more estrogen in women? What's, that's not something that is a social construct. Right. That's a biological reality. Yep. So what's going on there? Well, what does testosterone produce? It produces aggression. It produces uh, action. So, so now we've got a toxic form of aggression, but we also can have a sanctified form of aggression. And here's where I come back to, to a passage like the classic passage in 1 Corinthians 16 mm-hmm. that says to us, be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Yeah. It's the Bible saying act like men, and I think, I think it's describing what men do. They stay alert, they're strong in the faith, they act like men, be strong, mm. and then a lot of guys just... It, it, it gets toxic when they overlook the next verse, which says, let all that you do be done in love. Yeah. So toxic masculinity is masculinity where selfishness is at the core. Hmm. Biblical masculinity is where these masculine traits, things like courage and like aggression and things like leadership, and where that doesn't have a selfish root, but where you say, for the good of others, I am going to not be a passive male, because I think that's... That's the kind of real toxic masculinity that led to the fall of the garden, mm-hmm. was male passivity. That's right. So you want real toxic masculinity, it's a guy who doesn't doesn't step up and do what he's supposed to do as a man. Uh, we, we've got to recognize that, uh, that whenever we are sinfully passive or sinfully hyper-aggressive, uh, 
that's toxic. Now yeah. let's talk about what sanctified masculinity looks like, and let's live that out. And I think the Bible gives us directions. I also think in this conversation and the whole gender discussion that we've got, mm-hmm. we have to be careful that we don't fall into stereotypes as absolutes. My son went to a youth retreat when he was in junior high, and the speaker at his youth retreat said, you know, guys and girls are different. You know, guys like sports and girls like to read books. Hmm. Well, my son wasn't a big sports guy, and my son liked to read books. Mm -hmm. So he comes home going, is there something wrong with me? Am I not masculine because I'm not into sports and I like to read books? This is where we've, we've turned what what might be a stereotype into some kind of a biblical mandate, and it's just, it's way out of bounds. We've got to yeah. be careful that we don't generalize and stereotype masculinity and femininity. That's so good. Yeah, it really is. I think the the more we lean into the scriptures, the more, you know, one of the things that I've been frustrated with in response to all this, and why I'm so thankful for, for guys like yourself who are doing this work at a broad, in a broader scale, is that there's a leaning into the scriptures and you know those sorts of stereotypes exist because because there is a subtle if not explicit a subtle rejection of of God's word and embracing of certain stereotypes that aren't there that end up being harmful as well but i i've noticed a a subtle embarrassment about uh, about our complementarian theology rather than a pressing in to the word like you were stating Diving into First Corinthians chapter sixteen and talking about the traits of a godly man, uh, instead of going there, there's been a backpedal ap- apologetic approach. It seems to me, and rather than training through the Word, we've kind of apologized our even complementarian theology and kind of pushed it back and said, "Well, and we." Uh, it's almost like I- I've been witnessing people just kind of say, "Well, here's godly women," and kind of thrown women to the front and said, "Here's the answer. Here, just just give." more and more women leadership responsibilities. Here's the answer. And I'm kind of in the background going like, wait a minute, the answer is real men, humble Christ-like men who are driven by God's word, stepping up and saying, we will protect and we will love the women and children of our church and our community. And go ahead. I'd agree, Jared. And Jared, I think we're in a season where we do need to say, have we, in our complementarian circles, have we been somehow sending a message that a a woman's engagement in spiritual activity or the life of the church needs to be toned down, I I think we need to be exploring instead how can women be as fully engaged Mm. as possible and and utilizing women in ministry as as fully and effectively as the Bible would have us do that. That's key. So there is some correction that I think needs to happen to complementarianism that has... Uh, that has gotten too rigid or gotten too uh, too male centered, mm. but but you're right. We can't be catechized by the culture. Yeah, we can't we can't let the culture teach us what what uh, we should believe about gender and about uh, about equality. We we have to look at what the Bible teaches. And here's the rule I've used: the, the Bible teaches some character qualities that are true for all Christians. So the fruit of the spirit is not male or female. Mm-hmm. It's for everybody. It's good. Uh, but there are certain passages that you'll come to, like a Titus 2 passage where it says older women should teach younger women these things, mm-hmm. and older men should teach younger men these things. Why does the Spirit of God inspire the Apostle Paul here to say, make a differentiation That's good. between, instead of saying, what do older 
Christians teach younger Christians, it says women focus on this, men focus on this. Where the Bible draws attention to gender differences, we should at least have our antenna up and say, well, what should I learn from this? Yes, that's so good, so helpful. When, and, and I love that. And we just we started this new series at our church, and one of the things that we're talking about is God at times addresses humanity, the cultural mandate in the book of Genesis is to men and women. And both men and women need to be involved in staking ground for the glory of God in our world. And then, um, you know, when God speaks to men, the gender men, he's not speaking to women. And when God is speaking to women, he's not speaking to men. And those distinctions, just pressing into those biblical categories as much as we can, I think it is it is crucial. Um, yep. Let Let me ask you a, a kind of a, a big question. That's kind of a uh, kind of a well, it's just really broad. But what is the state of the family? As you're working with families and assessing the situation at, of the church, the Big C Church, just in our country, what is the state of the family? in the church today? How are things going in the church? How are our families doing? Well, it is a broad question, so let's let's back up to the culture first, because I'm afraid the state of the family in the church is more influenced by how the culture is driving things than it is how the Bible is driving things. Mm. And in the culture, here's, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that, um, that marriage has become very devalued in our culture. Um, and there, there was once a time when marriage was something to which people aspired, and they married early. Right. By early, I mean they married in their late teens and early 20s. Today, the average age for marriage is uh, 27 for women and 29 for men. And so that's a lot of years of pent-up sexual frustration where you're unmarried and, and are are feeling desire for sex, and, and in our world, in our day, in our churches, people are satisfying those desires. Mm-hmm. They are having sex outside of marriage, or right. men are looking at pornography regularly, or uh, we, are, we are denying what the Bible teaches about the valid sexual expression, and we're buying into what the culture teaches, which is this is a normal, natural urge, and right. you should just uh, try to indulge it in some kind of an honorable way. Well, you, you introduce that on the front end into things, and all of a sudden you've, you've gone right at the heart of the marriage covenant, and you've devalued that, and mm-hmm. when you devalue the marriage covenant, then the rest of the family structure is going to be impacted by this lack of a committed monogamous relationship where sex is held in high regard and it's only between a man and a woman in the context of a lifetime committed relationship. And and so that's the world we live in today and too many Christians find themselves in that way of thinking so that even within the church, even people who are getting married today, um, here, here's the typical pattern that gets you to the altar. In the, in the old days, it would go like this. You, you would meet somebody, you would start dating that person, you would date that person exclusively, you'd get engaged, you'd get married, you'd have sex, you'd have kids. Mm-hmm. That's the old pattern. Today's pattern, you, you meet somebody, um, probably the next thing is you have sex with that person. Then the next thing is you start dating regularly, continuing to have sex during that time. Then you move in together. Then you have a child. 
then you get engaged, and then you get married. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's more than 50% of the people who get married today, that's the pattern they've been on. Wow. 70% are, the, the, the number's like 46% of kids born today are born out of wedlock among African Americans. That's a 70% number. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and so it's just a, it's wildly disproportionate. It's, it's not the way the Bible instructs us to do marriage and family. And as a result, uh, you know, as a pastor, I know as a pastor, we're dealing with marriage and family issues probably more than any other spiritual or counseling issue that we're, we're dealing with. I talked to yeah. a pastor one time, he said, at our church, more than 50% of our pastoral duties, pastoral work, is involved with people who are uh, thinking about a divorce, going through a divorce, or recovering from a divorce. Wow. And it's the reality. The things we deal with as pastors are marriage and family issues. Things yeah. that go sideways, relationships that get fractured between husbands and wives, between parents and kids. Uh, that this is where our our Christian life, this is where the rubber meets the road. Um, you can fake it with people at church, but you can't fake it with the people you're living with. Mm, that's good. And and uh, so I, I think we have to come back and say yes, there are issues in the family because the culture has devalued marriage and family. But at the core of all of these issues is our inherent. Uh, selfishness, our inherent sinfulness, and the fact that we're just following the cultural lead in terms of how that gets expressed. So at a local level, local church level, uh, at Redeemer, what you're doing, you know, clearly from preaching on Sunday mornings and, and giving people the authority of the Word and leaning into what God has to say about, you know, marriage, family, sex, sexuality, parenting, how, beyond that, beyond a regular dose of preaching on Sunday mornings. What, what are you guys doing practically at your church to equip families to maybe see this turn around? I mean, to see the families of Redeemer thrive, what do you guys do to equip those the families that you're working with? Well, let me just say with regard to the preaching, I do think it's good for all of us as pastors when we're putting sermons together to be asking what are the marriage and family applications of the text I'm looking at. Okay, that's good. Because that's what people are trying to figure out. Um, so... This coming Sunday, where I'm preaching on the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, uh, you, you wouldn't look at that and say, well, that's a marriage passage or a family passage. So I would have to say, are there marriage and family applications related to this? Okay. What, what are the implications of this in our marriage and our family? So that in my preaching, that's that's where people are living, and so I want to help apply the scriptures in the, the places where they're living. So that's the first thing. But beyond that, we did an Art of Parenting small group this past uh, fall, and we had about 12 young couples who went through that, an older couple who led through that. They loved it. They want us to do it again. We have the Art of Marriage small group series that Family Life has produced that we've used regularly. Um, we're, we're trying to ask ourselves on a regular basis, how can we be discipling um, people in the areas of marriage and parenting? Uh, we've had some situation we did a, a Sunday night a number of years ago where uh, I had three couples get up three couples who were in their 50s who'd raised their kids and I just threw out the question with them I said okay uh, if, if you could do it all over again what would you change from how you did parenting and why and we went through six people and had them answer that question and that opened up a lively discussion I just opened up the floor for for questions from people who were there and 
people loved the opportunity to get transparent about the challenges and the failures and the, mm, and the things we do differently. And, um, so I think I think you can help engineer and set up as a pastor uh, opportunities for conversations to happen around marriage and family. And I think the people in your in your church are hungry for somebody mm. to help them in these areas. Yeah, that's again, that's just helpful stuff. I appreciate that. Uh, I want to. I got a couple more questions for you. One personal question, and one for my for my audience that I think would be helpful for them. But you know, I've been doing this podcast now, what we're doing right now, and and putting out some content for the broader church and writing, doing some writing. A lot of my listeners are writing blogs. They're, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, Twitter has this, an ability to, for all the trash that's on there, you can see trends and you can see what's going on within the church and kind of problems within the church. But it also has this ability to suck you into a life outside of what's local. And it has an ability to pull you away if we don't keep it in check from, Right, what's right in front of me, the real problems in the at at the at the local church level, and get me thinking and get us thinking, you know, you know, broadly with the Big C Church. And so you've been doing this, living in these two worlds, living locally and then living, you know, in evangelicalism from you know coast to coast to even globally, probably. How 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 do you personally maintain, you know, as your your prayer, your how do you keep your prayers local, the faces that you're seeing? right in front of you local, the best of your energy and, and critical thinking and all of that. How do you keep that at Redeemer and not just thinking about the next post or next article or next radio program that you've got to do? How, how do you maintain a local you know, uh, gravitas without getting pulled away to every just big C church stuff? Well, I, I think it's important for us as pastors to be aware of and alert to the big C church stuff to see okay. what God is doing among his church uh, nationally. I, I think this is a part of, of wise shepherding, to be aware of trends within the church, to, to see what other pastors are doing, to see what's happening in other cities, to be aware of the, the pitfalls that, that other churches have faced so that you can be on guard against those issues in your own church. Okay. I think the problem comes when, when we lose sight of what is our primary responsibility, and that's what First Peter 5 says, to shepherd the flock of God among you. That's good. So we have to keep coming back to that and saying, this is, this is the job God's given us as shepherds. So I should be looking at what's going on with the, within the broader church so that I can more effectively shepherd the flock of God among me. Uh, I, I think there are simple reasons to be paying attention to the broader cultural things. I, you know, if, if, if you want your name to have a higher profile or a higher platform or people in other communities to notice you or your favorite authors to, to maybe retweet something you tweeted or something, right. we can be driven by uh, ego, by fame, by desire for, for power or recognition. we got to be on guard against that. And then, honestly, I've been aware of the tendency to troll through Twitter or, or to be following stuff. Uh, to, gossip can be an issue for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can be just one of these things where I want to be a guy who's in the know. I want to be recognized as somebody who has his finger on the pulse of what's going on. Well, that, that can feed into real sinful tendencies right. in my life. So I have to keep coming back and saying, how much of this that I'm involved with is so that I can effectively shepherd the flock of God in in my 
world? What, what are my what are people in my congregation going to be aware of and going to need me to be speaking to? Or what are the things going on in other churches that can help me do a better job of equipping and preparing the folks in our local church because of things that we're seeing happen in other local churches? Uh, so I, I think we just have to calibrate it through uh, our primary job, shepherding the flock of God among us, and then how much of our attention on the Big C Church is with that primary goal in mind so we can be more effective as shepherds and how many of it is just how much of it is is playing into some kind of a pride or ego motivation yeah yeah so two two people could be doing the same thing one scrolling trends and and doing it for um, an inappropriate reason the other doing it because they want to be better shepherds locally they want to be yeah. uh, be able to take care and address the issues that you know that are being experienced at the local level that's again that's really you know that's really good and it's a good but check there can, be, there can be mixed motives there too i mean i yeah. can be doing it with both things in mind and right this is just where we have to constantly be say praying the prayer that's at the end of psalm 139 search me mm, oh god know good. my heart see the wicked ways that are there and and lead me in paths of righteousness and and i think we got to do that as we engage with social media or with what's going on in the broader church bob you're telling me that you're not to the point yet that you have pure motives with everything that you do <laughs> my, my uh, doctrine of entire sanctification entire sanctification keeps getting thwarted by my daily practice exactly that's right that's right uh, we have, uh, um, you know, people that I would love to encourage. If you, if you had any to my listeners, any word of advice, encouragement, warning for them, uh, what what would it be? Well, I, I think in a broad sense, especially as I'm talking to uh, to pastors or people who are active in in the uh, in the broader church, I would say uh, keep the main thing the main thing. Make sure the gospel is always at the center of what you're doing. Keep coming back to that. And and I would say be on guard, at least maybe I'm preaching to myself here, but be on guard against the tendency, uh, the, the inherent tendency to want to drift in the direction of self-righteousness. Hmm. Uh, and I don't mean self-righteousness in terms of um, I'm accepted before God because I'm good. I'm, I mean a self-righteousness in the sense that says I'm, I'm better than other people because I believe this or I act this way, hmm. uh, rather than recognizing that that I believe these things and, and act this way only because God, by His grace, has enabled me to see the truth and to live the truth, and uh, and and I'm just like everybody else trying to run to the foot of the cross on on these issues. So that's that's what I keep coming back to. Am I keeping the gospel front and center in my own life? and in what we're doing at our church, and then am I aware, I, I, I go back to a message I heard Matt Chandler preach years ago, where he said, as pastors, we have to recognize that every Sunday we are preaching both to the prodigal and to the older brother, mm. and both of them had it wrong, and we live in a world today where our tendency is to think the prodigals are the people who have it wrong, right. and the older brothers are closer to right, and Jesus was saying in Luke 15, no, uh, that in fact, it's interesting. The prodigal gets invited into the party after he repents. The older brother never repents, and he's kept out of the party. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the day, we, we've got to recognize that avoid the tendency to drift into what Christian Smith referred to as uh, uh, the practical deism, the moralistic therapeutic deism in our preaching, 
and instead keep coming back to the gospel. Well, that's tremendous. I love that. Keep coming back to the gospel. Keep coming back to the gospel. Keep coming back to the gospel. Bob, it's been uh, just a lot of really great things. I think our listeners are going to be really encouraged. I know I, I have been. It's been a lot of fun just getting to talk to you. Appreciate your time, and just thanks so much for coming on the show. Well, appreciate you, the work you're doing in Carbondale, and then the work you're doing to try to help all of us as uh, as brother pastors in, in uh, the role that God's called us to. So blessings on your work, Jared. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.